Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. You are listening to Teachers Talk Radio and our special edition podcast on Slant, which is part of the Teach Like a Champion repertoire. Yesterday, we or I carried out two interviews, one with Phil Beadle and one with Ruth Robinson, all about their opinions on slant as a teaching strategy and technique to use in the classroom. So far, uh, since publishing the original interviews yesterday, they've racked up a total of around 30,000 views uh, across all platforms. If you want to watch the video version of the two interviews, they're on the Teachers Talk Radio YouTube channel. But obviously, this is the podcast version, so you're going to hear both interviews. One is very much uh, anti-slant, and the other one is very much pro-slant. And of course, as always with TTR shows, you, our listeners, can make your own mind up at the end. Thanks very much for listening, and enjoy the podcast. We are talking about an issue that is slant and at some point we'll interview other people with different views about slant and its role in the classroom. Um, If you don't know what slant is, we will talk a little bit about that as well. It's part of uh, Teach Like a Champion. It's part of the repertoire, let's say, of Teach Like a Champion teaching strategies, um, which many, many teachers will be familiar with. Uh, Phil, um, I don't know whether you want to just introduce yourself really briefly to ever, anybody who doesn't know you out there. Not really, no. No problem. Um, uh, Phil, I think, is an English teacher. Yeah. Um, and works at secondary level. Yeah. And has also authored various different um, blogs and books around teaching and learning. Yes. So, Phil, let me let me start off because you've written this blog about slant. Um, what led you to write the blog, first of all? And if you haven't seen the blog, you can find it on Phil's um, Twitter page. Uh, there was some controversy, and I, I don't spend a great deal of time on Twitter. Um, there was some controversy this week uh, about a degradation of teacher autonomy. And I think teacher autonomy is profoundly important as a motivating factor. Um, And much of that degradation of teacher autonomy comes from, um, one one might say, schools that are prone to be affected by cultiness. And we're, we're in a situation where teachers are being told that graduate professionals, highly intelligent graduate professionals, are being told to deliver lessons which are scripted minute by minute. Now, this is a creative profession, and it's a creative profession in a very wide church. And I just feel that the degradation of teacher autonomy, and I feel that slant is, slant is kind of a, a, a kind of tangential thing to it, is, is a profoundly bad thing. Okay? And so just very rapidly, just not something, just cut and pasted something out of my last book and posted it up. That's all. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the things you've said. Um, just, just, to, just to sort of open up there, um, do you think that routines are important in the classroom? 
Yes. What if I understand that? You know, we're going to talk about slant as 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 one sort of routine, but there are many many others. What routines do you use in your classroom when it comes to when it comes to behaviour? Well, that, that that's a very very complex question. Uh, so slant is that's for teacher delivery and the teacher led discussion, which, as far as I can see is pretty well all the, the pedagogic tradition that TLAC represents has got on its palette. Um, what, what do I use for transitions? And the wasp is back again. <laughs> what do I use for transitions? I get uh, quite simply, I say pens down and look this way. That's it. At no point do I attempt to control their bodies. Yeah, I, I suppose look this way. Or somebody really left field might consider that draconian. I mean, we'll we'll get into the we'll get into the box. I thought I wanted to ask you that to start with because we are fundamentally we are talking about te- about routines here, particular routines. This being, yeah, can I say something about routines? There is a a view of people that don't know a, an enormous amount about how to influence human behaviour. That routines is is it basically routines and systems is it? I'm not a systems person. I totally agree that schools have to have adequate behaviour management systems. Uh, I use routines myself all day, every day. Um, however, positive behaviour management that understands that you're dealing with humans is vastly more complex than just insisting on routines. Yeah, there's a lot, lot more to learn than that. I want to sort of pick out some bits that you've written um, in the blog. So if we were to start with this section, it says here, just as an example of the level of symbolic violence being perpetrated on some of our nations and a specific strata of American children, I serve up for your delectation slant that has been imported without being put under any form of critical microscope into the UK as a perfectly acceptable method of social control, when in fact it's little more than what Bordio Bordio describes as one of the crudest techniques of coercion. Now, is slam one of the crudest techniques of coercion? It is certainly a crude technique of coercion, without a shadow of a doubt, and the people that invented it actually admit that. Uh, I'll read something out from David Levin, who was the leader of the oh, kitchen. Phil, can I ask you to move slightly so you're in the middle a bit more? I don't want to. Uh, um, right. <laughs> right, here we go. That's very coercive of me. Carry on. This is from Dave Levin. Okay, don't try and control the way that I'm seated. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. Right. This is from Dave Levin in apologising, the people that invented it, in apologising to the community for the invention of slum, right? In recent years, I've come face to face with the understanding that white supremacy does not just mean the public and hateful displays of racism. It also applies to all aspects of the world that are set up for the benefit of and perpetuation of power for white people at the expense of people of color. The most common example of this is disciplined practices that center on compliance and control. 
and have not consistently and constructively affirmed, uplifted and celebrated your identities, your communities and our black staff. Now, this came about because the alumni of the KIPP schools, and this is coming, yeah, in, in the future, this is coming. The alumni of the KIPP schools identified, so black teachers that have come back to KIPP schools identified that they were profoundly uncomfortable with the experience of having their bodies controlled by white teachers. So even the people that invented it admit that it's coercive and controlling. Yeah, it's an absurdity. Why is, why is the, intellect, the level of intellectualism of the profession descended to such a level that we cannot see that this is abusive? I asked you a question. But there are a lot of non-white people, teachers, professionals, who attest to the positive impact of TLAP and SLANT. Do they? On students, yeah, for sure. Well, I've never met one. In fact, I have to be honest, every single teacher that I've worked with over the last few years, when Doug Lemoff has mentioned um, certain other voices that um, that would argue for what I would term authoritarian, draconian approaches. I've always just said it's just fucking rubbish. Yeah, maybe not some of those from, from Teach First who are indoctrinated initially before they find their own game into believing that Doug Lemoff is, is the ultimate guru of teaching. But yeah, I, I have to say, as somebody that's been teaching for 27 years and still teaches, that the idea that I want to be listening to somebody that spent one year in a classroom as, as my, my guide, it's a complete absurdity. But I think, I think, I think coming back to what you said about, about um, the sort of, I mean, I mean, you've, you've mentioned there and you actually mentioned it later on in the blog as well. Let me just find the bit. Yeah. You said, um, this set of flawed crutches for the teacher without ability. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with it. I wrote it. Yeah, it's the, the issue with this model of delivery of, of content. I've got nothing against the delivery of content, but this particular model of it is so profoundly unskilled. And this is, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment with the subtitle of which is, uh, why traditionalism is a right-wing scam. So the, the title is Pedagogy of the Oppressor. It does have a question mark. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, as somebody that is, is identified as a progressive, um, they've only got one tool in their toolkit, and it's not enough. Yeah, For me, uh, your experience at school is as important as your outcomes. And we seem to have forgotten that the social adventure of learning is a social thing, okay? and consequently, young people since you know this government have come in. Yes, they've had substantial improvements in the degree of rigor, which I utterly applaud. But their experience of school, to me, has become degraded. Why? I mean, just just coming back to that though, when any teacher sets out teaching of any ability level. So, so they decide they want to become a professional teacher mm -hmm. and every, every teacher out there is going to have, you know, there's no one teacher who's the same as the next. So every teacher, however good someone else judges them to be, or however good they are, 
there's going to be different ones in each each phase. Yeah. So surely every teacher having a toolbox of effective strategies is a good thing. And and yes, yes, and, and, I agree with that. And slant could surely fit into a toolbox of of strategies that it, that it, that any teacher could use, particularly a teacher. I mean, yes, but that that toolbox of of pedagogic palette cannot be abusive. It is part of our professional values that we are not abusive to children, and this may be unconsciously abusive. But even the person that that came up with it accepts that it's coercive control, and that's not legal. But I, I'm going to sort of challenge you there on on this idea of sort of oppression and and sort of um, you've 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 mentioned a few times in the blog actually symbolic violence mm-hmm. um, being perpetrated on on children, right? If you actually pick slant apart. There are the the first two bits of it are sit up and and, and listen. So no Why? no, but I'm, I'm just going to finish this. I sit, I sit up and listen, right? And sorry, I'm killing a wasp. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Carry on. Um, slam, please, Phil. But no, I'm not going. But there is an argument to say that, that, you know, particularly with sit up and listen, these are just basic, these are just basic fundamental instructions that every teacher has to give to students at some point. No, it's not. Um, Listen, yeah, of course you do. But the first one, sit up. Um, you've you've tried to control how I sat twice in the space of how long we've been talking. I mean, I was I was being quite facetious and jokey the I second time, but it was interesting. My, I had an emotive reaction to it both times. Okay, so that will give you an, an indication as to what it feels like having somebody to control your very being, your body. Yeah, I don't some- see a problem with it though. If you said to me, Tom, can you can you sit a little bit more in the center of the screen because I'm struggling to see you? or hear you, then I'd say that's absolutely fine. That's an adjustment. That's a reasonable adjustment that I will make for your comfort. Right. We're not going anywhere, really, with this one. Um, let's let's move on. Yeah, I, I, well, it, yeah I, I don't find it comfortable, okay? And personally, so at the moment, I'm slouching. No, that's um, fine. That's absolutely fine. And, and as I said, I said that's absolutely fine. And I'm not looking but, at you either because I'm thinking, right? Yeah, and that's absolutely fine. No problem with that. But I think what we were getting at was this idea that asking someone to sit up and listen is oppressive. Because that's, uh, that's, what, that's what you said. You said it was oppressive and symbolic violence to, to ask someone to, to instruct somebody or ask somebody to sit up and listen. There are elements of slant which are more oppressive than others. Listen isn't necessarily oppressive, of course. All teachers, when they're delivering content, need to be listened to and the children need to listen to each other when they're in discussions. Of course, listening is a vastly important skill. There are elements in the blog where, of course, I'm satirizing things hyperbolically. Do you understand? Yeah. It, a, a lot of my writing, and the reason, yeah, I've, yeah, I've still got a three-book deal after I've no longer kind of a, any interest to people, is 
a lot of my writing is satirical in intent. Now, in satire, one exaggerates. Yeah. And so consequently, yeah, th that, that particular satire of that particular coercive and controlling technique is exaggerated. So. But there are other, the, the, nod, the nod thing is fucking ludicrous. And track the teacher is equally ludicrous. So, but but I have to be clear that you have mentioned each of the S L A N T, you know, acronyms, and you you you've really sort of critiqued all of them under the banner of this is yeah, slash yeah. slash impressive. Impress so, are you saying that actually N and T are oppressive? Some, some elements of it are more ridiculous than others. There's nothing ridiculous innately of telling kids to listen. However, because I'm writing a satirical piece, I'll point out the comedic. I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I understood that there was elements of satire in, in the blog, but I, I, I believed it to be a very serious sort of, you know, punch at slam. Well, you can make you know. a serious point through humour, Tom. It's, yeah, it's you, possible. Can, you, you can, you can. Um, why, yeah, why do you think Jerry, Jeremy Corbyn was pictured on the front page of The Sun as a chicken? Yeah, humour is an incredibly effective way of getting a point across. I mean, I want to, I want to sort of, okay. So we've cleared up the bit about sort of, you know, you, you don't necessarily feel that that um, asking or in, instructing um, a a a student to sit up and listen is oppressive. Um, but I think there are there are potentially elements of oppression in trying to control someone's body. Yeah, the listening thing, I, I don't have an issue. So in so in 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 sort of class then, I mean, presumably there's times. I mean, how would you respond if you were in class and a student slouched and put their head on the desk while you were giving an instruction or talking? Say anything about head on the desk? You don't put your head on the desk in my classroom. So how do you ensure that that doesn't happen in your classroom? I tell you, this is, this is not, not a very high order dialogue, really. I tell them to take, get their head up. It's that simple. But I will also talk to them about you know, how late they went to bed last night and how much sleep they're getting. But there is an instruction there to get their head up. Yes, of course. Yeah, there's so a, there's that, surely that's controlling the body then. That's asking a student to control their body. That's just you being silly, really. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It is. The intellectual level of this is a little bit low. Please, can we up it a bit? I mean, I mean, I, I think it was a valid question. If you you said that you said about the... I'm sure it's a valid question. I think it's stupid. Well, let let me read what you said. You said, "Sit up. Why? Why are you trying to control the way I sit?" When I'm thinking, I like to lean back a bit. I struggle to sit up and write at the same time. But more than anything. Get your symbol symbolic hands off my body. If you feel you have dominion over my body, then I do not want you as my gentle guide since you no longer qualify as such. Right. So you're, what you're doing now is you're hyperbolically satirizing I'm, me. I'm reading what you said. Well, hyperbolically satirizing me by conflating. I'm reading what you said. And you're know, interviewing someone and not listening to them. Yeah. You are conflating one thing with another. Having your head on the desk and being asleep in a lesson. Okay, it's not acceptable, but it's not the same as you have to sit up bolt upright. You know, that's that's a deliberate conflation of one thing with another, and it's kind of insulting. Okay, but I mean, I think it's important to get into that because that's a key part of slant. 
sit, sit, you know, you you critique slant, sitting up is one fifth of it. Otherwise, can we move on? Because if it continues to be at this deeply low intellectual level, I, I can't be bothered with it. Right? Can we move on to the other stuff? Okay. Um, I, I mean, is, is there anything I can ask you about slant that you've written? That you're well, comfortable with me talking about. Why don't you read out the good bits, not the bits that you find easy to satirize? I'm not satirizing, I'm just reading through mm. the blog, I, which started with the sitting up bit. Carry on. So, okay, we'll move on to to um the 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 nodding bit. Mm-hmm. Um so you've said here, um, nod your head. Are you joking? You haven't thought this through, have you? How often, why, all of us at the same time, the whole lesson? What are we to you? Are we even human? Or are we a whole class of Churchill insurance bulldogs that must be trained in more or less exactly the way that you would train a dog? Um, Good piece of writing, I think. I, I mean, I said I said on my, my feed, it's, it's an excellent piece of writing. I do think that when, when you write something, you know, it's good to discuss it and actually open up the critique around it. Um, I mean, that bit, I'm sure... Do you, you will have a lot of people who would support that. So with the, with the nodding part, um, I guess that, I mean, asking a student to acknowledge maybe that they're in some way, shape or form, that they are with you or, or sort of, you know, in the lesson with you or, you know, or, or acknowledging an instruction or whatever it is, you know, I, that could be framed positively. Have you noticed me nodding at you? Because I haven't, I don't think. Okay. Now, have we been engaged in, yeah, really at a point, some quite heated discussion? Yeah. You don't have to nod at somebody to be listening. In fact, probably looking at somebody and listening means you're not properly listening. Possible. Okay. I it, tend, I tend, is. I tend not to make eye contact when I'm listening, so I can focus on the words. So it's probably for all the, yeah, for all the good that much of cognitive science has done it's probably not in line with cognitive science either and i do think this conflation of teach like a champion with evidence base it's it's not a very big evidence base is it okay and and equally equally it's evidence it's evidence based it's the study of only one style of teaching okay and there are much much more styles of teaching than just that style of teaching you mentioned in the blog, um, and it was a quote by some, I can't remember who it was, I'm sorry, but it was someone else. And it said, um, every detail of students' behavior is scrutinized and corrected, even that, that which would seem to have little to do with children's academic performance mm-hmm. with regards to slang. And I think this person was actually talking about TLAC in general, but anyway, let's say slang. Um, I was going to ask you what behaviors in a classroom have nothing to do with a child's academic performance? I've no idea. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that question at all. Um, I don't know. Behaviours in a classroom, that's such a, a massive thing. I'd have to spend probably half a day thinking about that to answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of slant and TLAC, have you ever seen it in action yourself in, yep. in a school or classroom? Yes, and how did that make you feel? Yeah, I, I've used some of the techniques as well. I didn't find them helpful at all. 
And in fact, I did. I asked. I had a, just a delightful top set for the last couple of years, and I I tried I tried uh, cold call with them, and I did the research into what Dylan Williams says about it and how it's best delivered, and we gave it up after about two days because the class said no, we don't like this. We much prefer a more more organic form of conversation. So it's it's stilted. It's rigid. And equally, it, if you know your students, so for instance, there was a student whom I shall not name, who would, had terrible anxiety and would identify herself as vulnerable. If in public I go, I'm going to invent a name, her name was not Sally. Uh, here's a question, and that's for you, Sally. Sally's likely to start crying. So uh, it's just, this isn't managerialism really just pretending to be teaching teaching is much more multifaceted than that on on the on the point of sort of ask and answer because that's the third one we've got s-l-a-n-t we've got sit up listen ask and answer so on ask and answer um are you saying that is it cold calling that you sort of have the issue with or is it just sort of uh, asking students to verbally answer questions out well, loud. I, I, yeah, I think it takes away a degree of professional judgment. Part, part of professional judgment is knowing your students. And part of your professional judgment is knowing that that one in particular is really shy. That one's going to go to pieces if you ask them something. It's, to, to, we're putting blanket solutions here. And very blanket solutions with you know, ridiculous acronyms on the multifaceted thing of educating a class of children. And to put this, put them in this rigid box and expect them all to develop. And there is another serious issue with neuro neurodiverse kids. Yeah, asking a neurodiverse child to compulsorily answer a question is going to possibly leave them separating in, in shame. What's your, so, What's your methodology when it comes to questioning in class? You know, what's 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 the way to do it if if slant isn't the way to do it when it comes to ask and answer or cold calling, as they call it in TLA? That's a totally different conversation. In the, I've got probably about fifty, yeah, not just the one. And this is a problem with, I, yeah, I salute some of the achievements that the profession has made in the last ten years. Um, however, the, the key thing for me is the devaluation of the child's voice in their own education, the devaluation of, for instance, theatre studies, the devaluation of drama, the devaluation of anything that helps a working child, and you know, I was one of them, that helps a working child develop their skills of articulation and their de development of their skills of argumentation, because they're going to need those. But under the current pedagogic model, what we have is, is very, very constricted approaches to speaking and listening that, that, have, that don't necessarily have the organic feel to them and the groove to them that others have. And equally, the teacher-led discussion I have always held to be one of the most inefficient teaching techniques there is. And that's what cold call is. It's initiation, a response, and I can't remember the last thing, IRA, evaluation, right? 
having this one pedagogic technique in your palate to develop the speak, speaking and cognitive skills of your, your pupils seems infantile. It's incredibly inefficient. The teacher is the one doing all the intellectual somersaults. Yeah, the teacher is the one that's developing their cognitive skills and developing their skills of articulation. And there's so many different, more democratic and student-based ways of organizing discussion. It's, it's, yeah, I, I find the thing risible. But, in, but I suppose what I'm getting at is, I know you mentioned like 50 or so, so I'm, I'm just sort of trying to get, get, get an alternative to the model of slant. That's what I'm trying to get at, is, is one of the things they say in slant is ask and answer. So ask a question, student answers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a low intellectual level and such a low degree of thought. Yeah, and, and it's clear that this is a person that was really very new to teaching and had very little experience. Incidentally, uh, Mr. Lemoff does not like his techniques being criticised. I received a furious, furious tweet last night from him, after which, two minutes after which, and this, I'm sure it's entirely coincidental, my access to Twitter stopped. I'm sure it's coincidental. I don't think Elon Musk is. is no, I don't, no, I just, one doesn't know how much influence people have. Oh, come on, Phil. You think, you think Douglas Mobs chatting with Elon Musk on DMs? You, you just put words into my mouth. Well, did, I suggest, that? did I suggest that at any point? You intimated that your the shutting down of Twitter had something to do with you falling out with Douglas Mob. That. What the? That's right. what you've just yeah. intimated. Carry on. I, I'm sorry. Do you find me the object of humour? No, I'm That's just asking. I'm not I sure. I'm, I'm not sure I'm finding you the object of humour at the moment. I'm just asking. Why? I, I mean, you mentioned Lamarv and sort of. Well, he doesn't, I, like, okay, well, doesn't like criticism of his. I, I, I'm trying to have an interview to discuss the content of your blog. Yeah, yeah, interviewers generally let people speak. Let's forget the fact that, yeah, my access to Twitter, right? yeah, it's paranoid on my part, obviously. But he did send me an unbelievably irate tweet. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm here and dis discussing with you, all right, it's quite heated because I find your approach unnecessarily disrespectful. But I'm still here doing it. Um, whereas Mr. Lamov, I would be happy to sit on a panel with Mr. Lamov and discuss pedagogy. I'd, I'd, I'd quite enjoy that, provided he could retain control of his temper. Do you think, like, I want to sort of go into some of the other bits. So you mentioned... Um, the sort of word, and you, you mentioned it, and it's a word you don't like within, within, um, I think it's within TLAC, but also within SLAM, which is non-compliance or non, I think it was, yeah, non-compliers, was it, or non- <laughs> Yeah, there's much, I think I'd say there's much talk of non-compliers non or non-compliance, I can't remember which. Yeah, non-compliers, non-compliance, right? So what, I mean, to me, Could you that out, is... What, have I said something out of about what I think of that? No, that's what I'm going to ask you. I, I, well, I think I I this is a disgustingly bureaucratic way to speak about another human being. I mean, I mean, I was just going to ask, say that surely a non-complier is any any student who 
does not or will not follow an instruction in class. That's non-compliance. Oh, from, do you from... much about language? Because I don't. Yeah, that is a deeply bureaucratic way of speaking about a human. These are humans. To describe a human as a non-complier is fascistic. And obviously so as well to anyone with half a mind. Do you, do you, I mean, what, what would be the alternative to non you know, like if we were to look for an alternative word or someone who doesn't follow instructions? A student. No, no, the behaviour, though, of not following an instruction. A student. They're a student. A student. If they've got problems with self-regulation, when there'll, there'll be a reason behind that and we'll find it. To label them non-compliers dehumanises them. It disgusts me. Do you, because because with 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 that phrase um, <laughs> of sort of non non complier, do do you? So so in the next bit from there, um, you you've mentioned sort of this idea that I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, sh surely so in in a school environment or in a classroom environment, students need to follow instructions. Do, do you agree with that? They need to follow teacher instruction. I think, again, yeah, it, it, the difficulty with an interview situation is that you're asked for things off the bat. And, and I probably think there's a more profound philosophical question there to be answered than I'm capable of answering at the moment. On a surface level, yeah, it's important that kids follow instructions, absolutely. But I think there's a philosophical level as to who's given the instructions, how those instructions are being given, and whether those instructions are good for the child or bad. Um, again, though, there will be those who will say, well, the teacher, in a classroom setup, a teacher has to be the one giving out the instructions. A teacher has to give instructions. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. In, in, a, in a truly outstanding the managed class behaviorally it's the students that actually moderate each other's behavior yeah but to but to sort of create that in the first instance surely there needs to be some form of instruction from the teacher yeah, I think you're treating, right tom you're treating me as if i'm an early career teacher and i'm not yeah you, I, you're, you're saying such profoundly low level things that yeah pitch it up a bit will you well i'm sorry i've disappointed you i i'm just trying to i think it's important to to get into the actual technicalities of this, what it is asking well, teachers just, to do, because that's what it is. It's a teaching strategy. I think the philosophical element of it is rather more important than the technical element. The technical element of it is pretty visible. The philosophical element is frightening. Okay, let, let's go on the philosophical, try and go in, onto, onto the philosophical level of it. On a philosophical level, what are the things about slant that anger you the most? You're attempting to control a person's very being to control their habitus. You're giving them compulsory uh, instructions to do something which is completely pointless. Nod at the teacher. Completely pointless. Look at the teacher at all times. You are transforming sometimes vulnerable young humans into Pavlovian dogs. It is risible. The fact that it has such got, got such a grounding or a, infests 
our profession so, so deeply. I find it, it's very difficult to think of an adjective disparaging enough for it without resorting to even more profanities. Philosophically, it revolts me. And philosophically, I think it is damaging. And given that the people that invented it accept that it's coercive control and abusive, its continued support from figures of the far right persuasion in our profession is, to me, just a confirmation that we've made a move towards the, the, the Overton window has, has gone so far right that we're in, and I'll be careful with my language here, a precursor to a version of fascism. <laughs> but why, how, why, are you laughing? why are you laughing? Because because I I'm I, I want to ask. Yes, I did. I, I want to ask how a teaching technique or strategy can be a precursor to fascism. It's a uh, teaching uh, strategy. So I, right, I, I have to be honest, mate. I don't think you're clever enough to interview me. Okay. You, you, you really, you're a bit blunt intellectually and and unless you can pitch it up, I think we'll draw it to a close because you're just being silly. Okay, no problem, no problem. I mean, I, I think I'm asking relevant questions. I'm certainly trying to. Um, but if that's how you feel, that's absolutely fine. All right, okay, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, back again. Uh, this time with Ruth Robinson, uh, as promised, uh, we're going to cover all the bases on TLAC and slant. Um, Ruth, I'll ask you to introduce yourself, if that's OK. Yeah. Good evening, everybody. Uh, lovely to meet you. I'm Ruth Robinson. I'm the executive principal at Swindon Academy, which is part of United Learning. And I'm currently spending the last six months of my, my headship career in a rundown to retirement, supporting at the Nuneaton Academy, which is part of the Midlands Academies Trust, and will join United Learning in the autumn term. Okay. Now, the reason I've asked you on is, we'll get straight into it. You wrote a thread recently on Twitter that was particularly about slant and your use of slant mm -hmm. in your school. So I wondered if you could sort of summarise that thread for me first, in terms of what you said. Okay, I think the big message there really was that, um, so I've been ahead in very challenging schools for 20 years now. Um, this is the fourth very challenging school that I've stepped into to work with um, schools where there's very high proportion of free school male pupils, often predominantly white, not always, but my schools have been predominantly white British working class schools with very high proportion of pupils on free school meals. And in those schools, lesson disruption is not only the bane of a teacher's life, but it also blights pupils' achievement. And, you know, for the first 12 years of my teaching career, we didn't know how to sort behaviour out. Um, but about eight years ago, when we first got iPhones and Twitter became a thing, we started to read um, blogs and find out what great schools were doing. And it's at that point that we started to embrace Teach Like a Champion. And obviously it's written about and spoken about in various ways um, on Twitter and on the internet. But what I wanted to say in that thread 
was actually slant is really important because if you go into a very challenging school and you see the most difficult classrooms, you'll walk in and you might see children with um, feet on a chair, slouched back, heads down, or turning around and chatting to each other, disrespecting the teacher, disrupting learning. And really, pupils aren't going to learn. The whole class is going to be disruptive if that's the sort of behaviour that you face. And slant is just a code word, really, that we use in the schools. We train our teachers to use it, but we probably don't use every bit of the acronym. And what I tried to say um, on that thread was really, it's sit up, face the front, listen to your teacher and focus. That's what it's about. It's about getting pupils in the right stance to make the most of the learning. So we're going to talk a little bit about slant because there's a lot of there's there is a lot of criticism out there of slant. There's a lot of people who would say it's a very overtly oppressive pedagogy. In other words, it's almost forcing children who have very differing needs and personalities and all the rest of it to do something that that A, they're not comfortable with, and B, they don't really need to do to be successful in the classroom. What would you say to those sorts of criticisms of it? Well, in the way that we've used it in our schools, we don't go to what you sometimes see reported as the extremes. I mean, I've not been in a school where they use extremes of slant. So we're not demanding eye contact every second. You haven't got a teacher watching the direction of children's eyes. Um, Pupils don't get told off if they slouch for a moment or look out of a window. There might be a correction to bring their attention back. But... When somebody is explaining, the very best thing that a child can do is to pay attention. And we know really to understand new concepts in schools that are sometimes challenging and difficult. It's not a teenager's natural habitat, is it, to, to really, you know, be in a maths or a physics lesson or a, a challenging history lesson. So you're already asking them to do something they don't really want to do. And the best thing you can do them, the least oppressive thing you can do for young people is to give them choices in the future. And in order to do that, they need to learn and achieve. And all you're doing really at the beginning part of the lesson, as a teacher introduces new material, you're asking them to focus and listen. And that follows on then with paired work, with discussion, with debate, with questioning and independent work. So it's not as though they sat like robots for the whole lesson, but at that critical point, they're paying attention. There is that idea, though, that... OK, so, I mean, from what you're saying, you, you don't necessarily use slant because because part of slant is tracking, yeah. which which you know, is one of the five things in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, would, would, is that fair? Or would you say that that is still part of what you, I mean, with teachers, do you say, look, use slant? Or do you say use slan? <laughs> no, no, we do. The teachers do often use the T of it, but they will say, track me. That's at the beginning of the lesson. 
just as things are settling, you know, sometimes you've got books to get out, you've got your worksheets, the kids are getting their, their mini whiteboards and their pens ready. And then at the point where they'll start, the teacher might say slant, or they might just say, track me. And they'll just wait. And they'll wait for 100% compliance there. So it might be, thank you, you know, there's 90% of you there. I'm just waiting for one or two. Track me, please. And there's often a please. There's a, you know, there's a twinkle in the eye. There's a please. It's get The warmth is there. But that teacher is not going to give an explanation to that class until she absolutely knows or he absolutely knows that every eye is on them. And then often, if you're going through a questioning round a bit later in the lesson, um, the teacher will often say, track the speaker, because it's not, I think Doug made this point, Doug Lamoff made the point yesterday on the thread. It isn't just about tracking the teacher. It's one of your peers is about to make a really important point, And we're going to show we care and we're interested by just turning to track. And that's another thing you will often hear a teacher saying is, track the speaker what would you say then to those who say that that is so I've, we've just done an interview with phil beadle uh, which is available on the ttr youtube channel twitter and everything else now i know that you're you know we were chatting just before this and you said that your thread that you wrote was sort of in response to some of the things that he said in his recent blog post about slant it, was there anything in there that really sort of triggered you to write it? What were, what were the key things in there where you thought, you know what, I really I really disagree with this bit? There must have been something in there. There was probably quite a lot of it, but I saw that word coercive, and that got my goat, you know, and I just think about the schools we lead are full of warmth and joy. We are looking for ways to make education um, joyful and meaningful but also we're looking for high achievement as well. So our teachers aren't like sergeant majors. You know, they're not there barking orders and, and looking on down the line like a sergeant major would to find somebody out of line. What they're doing is giving children and young people the best chance to achieve. And your best chances to, to achieve is when you've got new things to learn, you're going to listen to the expert in the room which at that point is often your teacher, give you a really clear explanation. Um, so it, I, I just don't know where Phil, which school Phil's been in to watch this. I mean, I saw the very, very early iterations of some of this, actually, when we were first read about Teach Like a Champion, and I remember reading a blog about King Solomon Academy, where a lot of these... Um, um, approaches were one it was one of the first schools in the country to use it and children would click there and I found that quite unnatural and we haven't used clicking much but other schools do it to great effect but in neither of those schools in neither in Swindon uh, nor in uh, King Solomon would you ever say there was a lack of warmth or care so I, I don't know where Phil's been to see it I think he maybe has got a picture in his mind of what it might be, and doesn't really understand what it is. There are those who would say, though, that regardless of the warmth that sort of got wrapped around the strategy, there are those who would say that the strategy itself is uh, sort of about coercive control. I mean, Phil used the term, I think it was um, violent, or, or, or I can't remember the phrase he 
Precisely. I mean, for me, the thing that would get me far more angry um, is to go into a class, you know, is, let's see, year 10, year 11, those those GCSE years, and see pupils with their feet on a chair, with, the, you know, they're sometimes halfway back round, talking to their mates behind, disrespecting to the teacher. What is the greatest travesty, Tom? Is it is it that? Or is it somebody encouraging children to look and listen while you explain? To me, that's that's a much more dreadful thing to behold is a class of children not paying attention, disrupting and being um, disrespectful. That, uh, and the blight of that on the teaching the profession, it, it, it grinds teachers down. It exhausts them because once children and young people, they take control of the classroom. Well, God help the bullied child, the quiet child, um, the child who's slightly different. God help the teachers sometimes of a different race or a bit older or a bit younger. That's where you might see what, what you might call violence is the violence of disrespect and the violence of bullying. So I think perhaps Phil and I are just coming at it from a different way. But I'm in those classrooms day in, day out as an observer. We have open door policies. So, you know, we can just step into our classrooms in all the schools I work and just just we always say hi to the teacher come in miss come see and you watch and when you you know when I've gone into a new school in the early days and you see some things that aren't right or um you certainly know it's not right I know in the thread you one of the things you said is for sort of charismatic big character teachers um slant isn't necessarily need it, yeah. Something you you would use or, or need. I wondered yeah. if you could sort of expand on that in terms of what you <laughs> meant by that. Well, I was probably the most progressive teacher you'd ever come across in my first, you know, my first twenty years of teaching before I became a head teacher. I absolutely loved group work, post-it notes, stations around the room, finger puppets, role play, filming, you name it, and I could get a class of kids under my spell and under my control because you know a bit of a bit of performer I love the drama of the classroom um I love getting the kids on side and I can imagine well I've seen Phil speak I've watched him exert that charismatic control perhaps a different type of control but I've watched that charismatic control and some teachers have it great but many don't and we need those many who don't in our schools as a recruitment crisis, for goodness sake. We need everybody who's prepared to come into our classrooms to be enabled to teach without disruption. But you can't sprinkle Phil's fairy dust of charisma on a teacher. So many teachers need the sort of techniques like slant. I can't speak, obviously, for Phil because he's not here, but there, there will be others who would say that um, slant, as as much as what you, you are saying may be true, there are those who would argue that slant de-skills teachers in the sense of, okay, you've got a very sort of creative teacher who wants mm -hmm. to step outside the box, who wants to, you know, explore their own pedagogy, who mm -hmm. wants to be completely adaptive in terms of what they do they don't want to be tied down to yeah. this sort of model which which 
some teachers find to be uh or, or not child childish is the wrong word but they they see it to be de-skilling them yeah, yeah. or restricting them yeah i mean what would you say to to that so, critic, critique of it yeah i think some of this came about with the with the work that Warwick's did, I know we might talk about that another time, about schools that, that put things in place that all teachers are expected to follow. And I think the point made there by many people is that's often the beginning and an end of a lesson that can be the most chaotic and difficult. And actually getting a bit of um, consistency across the school is actually a really good thing. But, you know, calling children to attention you don't have to use the word slant to do that but surely it surely a charismatic teacher wants pupils to listen and learn um so i think all we'd ask our teachers to do is to make sure that if they are speaking at the beginning of the lesson they've got people's attention what goes on in the moments you know once you've got that it, well that's a different matter isn't it are there any exceptions when it comes to slant with you in your schools because there are there are many who would say that slant does not accommodate neurodiverse students so students for example who are autistic who struggle to make eye contact send students who struggle to ask and answer uh, be able to answer questions quickly don't want to talk in front of other people do you make lots of exceptions Absolutely. And I'd seen a question um, along those lines, which I haven't got round to answering yet. So I, I can certainly answer that now. The answer is yes, we absolutely do. So um, all of our um, adjustments um, at Swindon Academy, for example, that all goes on to Arbor in a very quick way in a register. So if a teacher opens a register, they can see a little indicator by the side of a child's name that there's a reasonable adjustment in place for that child. That might be a fiddle toy. It might be a, a, a wobble mat. Sometimes it's a really big, heavy blanket. Other times it might be asking not to cold call or maybe that pupil will be given notice. So you can cold call by jumping on somebody or you might cold call by saying, Tom, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, I'll ask a few questions in between. I'm going to come back to you. Let's see how you feel about answering it. Now, that's very different, isn't it, to just jumping on a child and cold calling. But absolutely, you want all children to feel comfortable and welcome and accommodated in the class. So, I mean, I can't speak for every school and every school leader, but that's certainly how we've interpreted it because we know just how very important those adjustments are. And we talked about adjustments there, and, and, and that made sense. But in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, just to take one example, like the tracking. Mm. And I know you said that they don't have to make eye contact and so on. Mm-hmm. But to sort of take that, I suppose, to the extreme is students who want to sort of like turn around or want to move about and so on. Um is that is that something that's accommodated within there or is that something where you say you know do you have lines for for all students or you know how does that work uh that's quite difficult to answer so yeah, let me give it a go is, people with I, yeah, people, I think a pupil with special needs right um if a number of teachers started to say they were taking advantage of the accommodations that have been put in place to get up, wander around the room, hit somebody around the head, rip up their work and be disrespectful. 
then we're not going to allow that to happen. If we find out that a pupil needs um, a toy in their hands and the teacher hasn't allowed them to have it and that child's got distressed, then we'd be having words with the teacher. So actually, it works both ways, doesn't it? You've, you've got that flexibility within. And actually, once you get real consistency in school, once in a challenging school, you can hear a pin drop, you can get attention within minutes, that's when teachers can really give their greatest attention and care to the most vulnerable in chaotic schools, in disruptive classrooms. It's those weak and vulnerable children that can suffer the most, really. Um, there is also a very sort of well-versed criticism of TLAC. This isn't just slang, it's T it's mm. T's like champion, along the lines of sort of the idea that it is representative of a style of sort of doing things that is uh, about authority, control, coercion. And many people sort of, I, I know Phil Beadle mentioned this in his blog. There, are, There is a lot when it comes to um, ethnic minorities views on slant and sort of... Um, Again, uh, many people have mentioned it within the same sphere as white supremacy uh, um, and, and such like. Um, uh, and I know race was mentioned in Phil's blog uh, on, mm. on, on numerous occasions. Mm. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on that sort of criticism of slant or opinion of slant? On TLAC, TLAC. TLAC revolutionised our school. So when, when we brought it in, we'd been using progressive approaches. So um, prior to being at Swindon Academy, I was at North Oxfordshire Academy, which is actually part, also part of United Learning. And we'd paid tens of thousands of pounds to train um, English and humanities teachers in project-based learning. We did accelerated learning. We've done TEEP. We've done philosophy for children. So we absolutely flooded our teachers with high, the best quality training. And because we were very new academies, we had a lot of money to spend. And the results were utterly dire. And we, we only got any GCSEs and results for the kids by like gaming the system, doing four GNVQs and Easter school and after school, before school. I mean, that was the coercion. We used to have children and teachers before school and after school because we were wasting their time in lessons with things that didn't work. And I'm sorry if people don't like it. Um, and I know lots of schools can make those things work. But, you know, I've been ahead for 20 years and for 12 of them, we were trying to make those things work. Um, and you would have had a lot more bubble and noise in the classroom. You would have group work and um, felt tip pens and things. So you look in, you wouldn't have teachers talk and kids weren't achieving. So for me, it's actually the, the most caring, the kindest thing you can do for ethnic minority pupils, for children of different races, for groups who've been let down by societies to give them the gift of a better education and better qualifications. Do you, I wondered, because we'll sort of move on a little bit from there to, to there was a thread by Warwick Mansell 
um, who's an education journalist. And his thread was specifically actually about school who had introduced scripts, essentially, uh, and quite, you know, um, very structured scripts. Let's 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 say that to paraphrase. You know, it's probably very mm-hmm. lazy, but but it was it was very stru- a very structured scripting. I wondered, a is that something you do or have done? Mm. B is that something you have an opinion on? And and C do do you feel that um, it is beneficial for schools to adopt and, and teachers? Because in this particular thread, which people can look up themselves, uh, Mr. Mansell talked of sort of teachers in the school who weren't happy with, mm. with the scripts and, and students and there was a big ITV thing on it. I mean, what, what are your views on this? I mean, we, we haven't scripted in great deal lots of parts of the lesson, but I think from that thread, people did step in and say it was beginnings and ends of lesson. But what I found, because I've started scripting more, some of our teachers script their own um, explanations because we know we talk extra anusly, don't we? We add things in. I've probably done it lots here tonight that aren't needed to get to the point. And I've started scripting speeches when I give them. Oh, my God, they are so much better quality. When you stop and think, get rid of all the extra things you don't need to say and say only what you need to say. So uh, we've been having meetings with 20 pupils at at the Academy where I'm working uh, today, actually, being strike day. We were brought in some children um, who'd been truanting and we scripted the meeting and it just took all of the cognitive load away from me because I was able to read through the script, but then ask a question of the child and their family about the truancy. But the script kept it simple, kept it direct, meant I knew what I was doing. So, again, I don't I don't necessarily think it's oppressive. I, I suppose it's all about how it's introduced and how you make sense of it with the people that you're asking to do it. So... I, I can see the benefits, but haven't bought sort of long, very heavily scripted um, sort of lesson starts and ends in. Yeah, I mean, I suppose this ties in with what we've said about TLAC, slant, you know, scripting and so on. It all sort of ties together to this idea that, that there, are, there are people within the profession who feel strongly that creativity within the classroom is being starved out, is being pushed out, you know, and we're becoming more and more sort of um, regimented and, and, uh, you know, systemic in everything we're doing. And those people would say teaching isn't that. Teaching Mm -hmm. is fundamentally the opposite of that. Teaching itself is this sort of freewheeler sort of thing where, you know, people uh, sort of express Mm -hmm. themselves in the way that they see fit and, and the kids respond in the way that they want to respond to that. I mean, I can just, um, as you're saying it now, I'm just calling back into my mind the lessons that I watched when we bought flip cans in at North Oxfordshire Academy. Margaret, didn't we think we were everything? Flip can for every teacher, and you'd see kids running around school with flip cans. You ask them what they're taking pictures of, and they couldn't explain it. You ask what the learning is, and there was nothing there. You know, you'd go into lessons where there are stations and pupils are supposed to teach each other things. And you ask a child at the end of it to explain to me and they would be completely clueless. Now, 
there will be utterly brilliant teachers. You know, I'm sort of really interested in things like ex, uh, Mantle of the Expert and and things like those. I would love to do those things with a highly middle-class intelligent group. And I'm sure that some disadvantaged pupils could respond to that in the hands of an expert, incredibly gifted teacher. But most of us, A, aren't like that, or B, if we've got a full timetable, haven't got time to be like that. And I think what I want from classrooms is I want them to be warm. You know, our drama lessons are massively creative, so are our DT and our art lessons and our music lessons. Um, so you're going to, and PE, you think about all of those where masses of group work and creativity comes into play. And in other lessons as well, there's a certain creativity in a child being able to take part, engage in really high quality thinking and discussion about high level concepts, about answers and the why and the how. So the kids don't just sit in silence in our lessons. We do loads of um, not just cold call, but building on answers and critiquing and debating. So to, to characterise them as lacking creativity, I just think it misses the point. Um, you know, would be would that we had this incredible utopia where children just lapped up every word a teacher said and we could just go off script, but unfortunately we can't. And I think, you know, the compromise is that we try and make sure that our lessons are the very best they can be. And for me, in the disadvantaged schools that I lead, using approaches like slant and the Teach Like a Champion ones for the last 12 years, well, the results speak for themselves. At Swindon Academy, although it's the most deprived school in Swindon, it's top for attainment, not just for progress. They did it, pro, did it for progress for five or six years. Nine, uh, 2022 for the first time, top for attainment. So something is happening in those classrooms. Children are learning, and it's just well, a joy you, you, to see. Could you argue, though, Ruth, that the, the reason for the increase in attainment is more of a focus on exam, on the exams, and therefore it's not actually to do with... with I mean, there, there, is a, there is research out there that would suggest that teachers and schools don't actually have as much impact on exam outcomes as teachers and schools would like to think they do. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the Coleman report, all these different ones that sort of question that. Um, if you were to put that in this context, you could then also argue that because of the sort of systematic focus on uh, um, sort of exam technique and content geared towards exams and curriculum geared towards exams and all the rest of it, that and, and TLAC and SLANT fitting in around that because mm. it is a system. And a, mm. and a sort of a, a way of doing things that that is what improves the results mm. rather than the, 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 the technique itself. Oh, you see, I don't agree with that because we focus on learning, not on exams. We do a three year key stage three. All United Learning schools do. Um, we very much well, we're, we absolutely don't take GCSE and bring it down into key stage three. We've got a really rich and broad key stage three curriculum and in fact what we had to do at our other schools when there was all this creativity going on was we had to do before school lessons after school lessons Saturday lessons holiday lessons all in a bid to catch up with the things that we'd we'd lost so actually 
it's just that the focus is learning and yeah i'm sorry folks but pupils need gcses you know it's all very well us middle class folk my kids just walked their gcses hardly lifting up a book to revise because they were bright intelligent articulate young people from middle class homes and gcses are easy for them i mean you know obviously they have to work towards them but you put GCSE papers into the hands of children from very disadvantaged homes where there aren't many books, where parents don't talk to them in the way we did, where they don't go off the estate and visit museums and things. It's a much, much more difficult thing for a child to achieve like that. And creativity, I'm sorry, it's not going to help them. Creativity in the classroom, learning is going to help them. But actually, you watch children and young people starting to learn and realise they can learn and the pride in being able to engage with their peers in the class and with the teacher and produce incredible work in their books with pride, I think that's the greatest gift you can give the children. Ruth, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, we, we are going to be talking again in, not about this, but but in more depth about other things, behaviour and so forth in, in mm -hmm. about, a, well, a week on Monday. Yeah. So anybody watching this, it'll be on Teachers Talk Radio week on Monday, audio only, so we can get our sort of um, onesies on for that one. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. And, yeah, um, and that'll be that'll be a week on Monday. So thanks everybody for for tuning into this, and uh, this will be available as a podcast alongside the interview we did earlier with Phil Beadle, who obviously has very different views on on TLAC and Slam to Ruth. Thanks very much, everyone. And You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.